Um, did it at all um, surprise you that you, as well as some of the other top quarterbacks, kind of slid in the draft? And, and what was your reaction? You know, it is definitely, um, you know, emotional roller coaster for sure. But, uh, you know, you just got to control what you control. You know, we get to the second round and we're sitting there waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we don't get anything. You know, I, I finally text Malik. I'm like, I text Malik Willis. I'm like, man, what's going on? Like, they don't like us or what? All I can control is, you know, answering the phone whenever somebody feels like they have, uh, you know, opportunity for me. So I'm just grateful to be here and I'm grateful to be, you know, a Tennessee Titan. A couple of the quarterbacks who did not go as early as maybe they had thought, as maybe we had thought, especially Malik Willis, the guy who ended up in a perfect spot at the end of the day with the Tennessee Titans, but it took a while to get there. Not quite two hours. That's what we have over the course of this Monday morning to look back at the draft and look forward to whatever comes next. And obviously what comes next, offseason workouts, et cetera, et cetera. But the draft continues to dominate the discussion. It's PFT Live. There's Chris Sims getting his hair ready. I got my hair cut way too short. I didn't mean to. It just kind of happened. It's looking good. It just kind of happened. Yeah, it's not that short. I mean, yeah. It's. I said, give me the Chris Sims. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see that. Maybe that's a bet we need to make going (laughs) into the summer. I'd like to see them take it down to about the skin on the side. Let's see that. That would be a good look for you. No. (laughs) No, not going to happen. I... I noticed something before we got started. I got two things to waste time on before we get to the news. What's the little packet you have that's got the Giants logo on it? It keeps what is my that? it keeps my earpiece in there. I keep it in there, right? So it's got it's a little old now, as you can see. It's got the Giants and the Bucks on there. Um, I don't know why they were. Are those stickers. stickers you put on there? They're stickers, exactly right. I just threw them on there, like they were around our office, and I was like, "Oh, we'll throw them on top of my uh, my damn earpiece little Ziploc bag I got there." Yeah, it's real nice. I don't even think I did. It, it. reminded me. It's like they're mommy, play the piano music. Mommy Matt NBC Matt Casey did it. Like he was like, "Oh, let me make oh. this look." This. So it was like a Matt Casey thing who has two young kids. And it's like he thought he was taking care of a third one, and he was the one that, like, put these on here. <laughs> it reminded me of being in school and having anything that I could find have football stickers, logos, whatever, on them. Whatever it was, the pencils, the folders, anything and everything you could find. That was yeah. part of the indoctrination back in the 70s. They didn't have Madden. They didn't have social media. So they got you during back-to-school week. Because you'd take mom to the Kmart, which was a happening place back sure, in the 70s, sure. or Cook's or Hex, a couple of other places where you could go buy all sorts of things, and you would say, I want the stuff that's got the NFL logos plastered all over it. So I saw that, and I, I had a flashback 50 years, and thank you for not playing the piano music earlier on the Monday. i also say this, speaking of getting old, I've had a bad habit lately of waking – got plenty of bad habits lately, but one of them is on Saturdays. When I wake up, I think it's a show day. So I can't really enjoy one of the few days that I can just sleep. It's like, oh, I got to get up and do the show. So that first 10 seconds of waking up isn't, oh, it's Saturday. It's not, you know, two hours of having to deal with you. So um, the problem is now for the first time on Monday – My alarm goes off on my phone, and I'm like, why the hell did I set my alarm on a Sunday? And I turned it off. And thank God I had a backup alarm, or and thank God I didn't do the same thing when the backup alarm went off five minutes later, or I'd still be sleeping right now, and you'd be doing this by yourself. That's how close it came. To me, not showing up today. That'll be a dream come true when it does. But, like, you can go back to sleep on Saturday, can't you? To me, that's like... One of the best things in the world. I love waking up Friday morning when I don't work and going for a, for about three seconds going, oh, no, I got to get up and get ready for work. And then realizing that there is no work and that you're getting ready. And then I go, ah, oh, man, this is the best sleep ever. And I lay back. Don't you ever, you don't get to that point where you start to go, oh, man, this is awesome. I, I do have the day off because I find that to be a great relief. Once I'm up, I'm up. That's you are? The problem. You're one of them? That's okay. the problem. Right. And, and, and also, also now that it's getting daylight earlier when you have a dog that isn't tied to any clocks, but just how daylight it is, that's when she decides 
it's time to start barking. That's the other problem, too. What is she, a rooster so, or a dog? She, 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 she roosts when I, the sun she, comes up? She, <laughs> she, must, she must have some rooster DNA because there's a certain amount of daylight that gets her to start barking, and then it's time for mom and dad to get up and go deal with her. But, uh, but anyway, uh, maybe she would have been the fallback, but she, I don't think she was barking this morning. She was trying to set me up to be late. Good, she wants me good. to be late, too. She yes. wants you to be able to yes. take over. Way to go, Macy. To, not just... Muzzle, just put a muzzle reins, on it, Macy. Spend the, spend the time making fun of me for not showing up. That would be something if it happens, and hopefully it won't anytime soon. All right, uh, let's get to some draft talk, and let's start with the quarterbacks because it was after Kenny Pickett went to the Steelers with the 20th overall selection. Yeah, None were picked until round three. There was a 53-pick drought between Pickett and the next quarterback and the next quarterback wasn't Malik Willis it was Desmond Ritter at 74 to the Atlanta Falcons in round three and then it was 12 picks later Malik Willis and eight selections after that Matt Corral I I still don't know why or how that happened and Chris here's here let's start here right let's start with the Steelers because I think there's a really compelling story in football morning in America from Peter King. He always has compelling stories, but this one specifically, Kenny Pickett spent five years showing up at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex in right. Pittsburgh. Yeah. And the doors for the pit and the Steelers practice facilities are literally 12 feet apart. And for five years, Pickett walked into the door on the right, looking at the door on the left and envisioning one day walking through there. And, and, it's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of the draft. He was at the mercy of where he was picked. He didn't get to choose to go through that door, even if the people who own that side of the building wanted him. It had to fall the right way. And there's three good stories, at least this year, of that happening in round one, with Aiden Hutchinson staying in Detroit with the Lions, Ike Aquanu staying in Charlotte with the Panthers, and Kenny Pickett, even though he's not a native of Pittsburgh, being able to stay where he wanted to that part of it's great but right. i can't help but wonder i can't help but wonder if the steelers didn't pick him at 20 how long he would have lasted because there was plenty of buzz about other teams maybe getting him just like there was other buzz about malik willis and everybody knew the steelers were thinking quarterback anybody that wanted Pickett, all they had to do was get to 19 and they had Pickett, and they didn't i just can't help but wonder if the steelers don't put his name on the card does he slide too uh, it's a good question. It really is. I doubt it just because I think he's – what we saw, I think he was viewed as the the safest, most ready one. All the things we talked about I think kind of proved itself a little bit as far as how the draft fell out and how the quarterbacks are concerned. So I, I would bet, you know, Mike, I don't know, but I would still think even if he didn't go there, by just the way and the things we've heard over the weekend and how it all fell – that he would have still been the first off the board if the Pittsburgh didn't take him. I just don't know when it would have when it would have been. But at the at the same time, yeah, we saw I, I think some of the things we talked about through the the process. First off, we got a lot of teams that got a lot of good quarterbacks. You know, there's some flaws with these guys. None of them are perfect. Kenny Pickett was the one that was ready, the safest. He's got talent. He's a good athlete. It wasn't superstar talent, but I think by far he like checked the most boxes out of everybody. And I think that's probably why I say it's a good question as far as how far he would have fallen. But, like, I have a hard time thinking, Mike, really in my heart of hearts, like a team like Atlanta at 43 in the second round, I, I, I have a hard time thinking that if he's sitting there on the board that he's not a guy they end up taking uh, or, or, or uh, at some point there. I, I, I can envision that. Or even some other teams maybe that are looking down the road a little bit. But I don't think he sits on the board as long as some of these other guys. Well, it, it's uh, it's a good a discussion. Alternate reality well, would yeah. happen because 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 look, you had Malik Willis and Matt Corral ahead of Kenny Pickett, right? And 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 it's not like Kenny Pickett stood out from the crowd. It's not like we all went into the draft saying Kenny Pickett's the number one quarterback. No, not at all. And then there's the rest of the guys. So that's what just makes me wonder if there wasn't that one team that yeah. that that number one liked the idea of keeping Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh, knew him well 
from seeing him around for five years. And Pickett told Peter King how he spent a lot of time talking to Mike Tomlin over the years. It's a great opportunity to get to know the guy that may be drafting you. And also, as Peter said on Friday from Philadelphia when he visited with us for a while, yeah. the Steelers are still trying to live down not taking Dan Marino when he was on the tee in 1983. And the thought process was, well, we still have Terry Bradshaw, and it would be awkward to have Dan Marino and Terry Bradshaw. Little did they know, Terry Bradshaw, who had had elbow surgery just a few weeks earlier under the fake name Thomas Brady, which is just one of the all-time great underrated stories in NFL lore. The original TB12 goes into the hospital under the name Thomas Brady just to get elbow surgery, and he played one more game, and he was done. Yeah, right. So they blew that one. So here's another Pitt quarterback when they just happened to be in their first post-Ben Roethlisberger year. The last time a franchise quarterback left, they went 20 years without using a first-rounder on a quarterback. This time, it all lines up, and it all works out perfectly. And it's either going to work or it's not, but... This one just makes so much sense, and I can't help but wonder whether or not the Steelers maybe skewed that evaluation a little bit. Maybe I hear that. Even with Kevin you know, Colbert you know, being a genius, leaving that at the door, him wanting to give a gift to the organization. I, all those things have crossed my mind. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I, I no, no, no. But but yeah. I just I just I want to know. I want to have that little twist. If he didn't go to the Steelers at 20, and I want to know if he slides out of round two like the others did. Yeah, I, I, I think he could slide in. I don't think he would have slid out of round two. I think he would have been a legitimate round two pick at some point. I, I don't know that. And, again, we've seen this in, his, in history. When guys don't go in round one, round two, usually the teams go, wait, we got other values and, I mean, other things we got to address. And, wait, the league doesn't value these guys as that special anyway, so let's put them on the back burner and address some of our other needs. I mean, that, that's really what we got down to. And then a bunch of teams, like we said, who had their quarterback seats filled. There's only a few teams that need it. It's a flawed group altogether. You know, that's where, you know, as far as the Steelers and Pickett are concerned, Mike, I just think it's a marriage that's perfect there because the Steelers are a little bit like that team we've talked about where the Saints almost. You know, I think that's why we thought maybe he could go there, right? They're kind of ready. There's still a lot of things in place for you to just go, it's not a rebuild. It's still got a lot of tools to be one of the better defenses in football. We talk about the receivers and the running back. So I think that probably adds to the value as well, let alone knowing the guy. And then, Mike, I mean, as we heard here through the weekend, you know, Malik Willis, uh, love the talent. You know that. It's raw. The game, as we've discussed a lot, when we go to the Super Bowl every year, the quarterbacks that are in are, are, guess what? Oh, they're awesome in the pocket, and they can dice you up. You're not going to run around the you know Aaron Donalds and the Von Millers of the world. So you got to play in the pocket and do that. Willis is extremely raw there, like extremely. I don't think the media really told you how raw it was. The other thing is, like you heard me say, the games, right? It's hard to put out one game and go, oh, that game right there, owner. That's why we take Malik Willis in the first round. The other thing that always came up to in my and throughout this weekend too that I know competition. Zach Wilson, remember Zach Wilson last year? Hey, his competition's not the same. Not, Malik Malik Willis. Nobody talked about that through the pre-draft process. It was definitely a concern. And then Corral, we heard that there was a lot of off-field concerns with teams more than I even thought there was. And so that was a flawed group. And I think you saw the two safest guys as far as human beings. And maybe just being the prototype quarterback and Pickett and Ritter, that's why they were the first off the board because the other two guys, I think the NFL looked at them a little bit as a roll of the dice. Let's continue with Willis, even though he yeah. was the third guy off the board. We'll yeah. go out of order here because he was the betting favorite right. to be the first quarterback taken. And there was buzz out there. Peter King points out that, some had this yeah. notion that he potentially could go number two overall to the Detroit Lions. And Malik Willis lasts until number 86 when the Titans trade up to get him. I just don't understand how we all had it so wrong. And was this misinformation by the league at large? No, no. But, you know, but I, it yeah. just it's just odd to me that Willis was kind of on the pedestal 
And then when the con- the time came to start making the picks, the the bottom fell out. Yeah. It's just, it's just so odd to me that that happened that way. It, you're right. I mean, we don't see it very much. It's very rare. You're right. It's beauty in the eye of the beholder. And I think there were some teams that are out there that were going, man, this class, these guys, they're just not good. It's a little too crazy. They all got their flaws. Pickett's not extremely talented. Willis has got talent, but it's raw. Corral has big-time talent. He was in a different offense. He's a little raw, plus the -the off-the-field things. So it all was, like, I think added together. But, Mike, no, I think legitimately there was was definitely teams in football who thought, oh, Carolina at six or Atlanta at eight might take Malik Willis. Like, they, they weren't like, oh, that's so crazy. They might they might have been going. Wait, I don't think we would take him there. But it's the quarterback position. It's beauty in the eye of the beholder. You're desperate sometimes. There's only so many out there to get. Sometimes you get a strike, and then it is it is based on potential. And like we talked about leading up to the process too, we've seen I've seen quarterbacks drafted with less talent than, Mal- than Malik Willis in the top ten or twelve. I mean, I hate to use Blake Bortles as that guy, but I mean, it, I'm sorry. It's just one that one that pops to my brain. As soon as he got drafted, I was like, pick three? Did they pe- mean pick 93? So that's where it is hard to kind of put your finger on it to your point because it just depends on the year and the desperation sometimes and the amount of teams that need the quarterbacks that add to it and, and add to the want of, of getting these guys. I don't know whether you're just getting soft because you're getting older or you feel regret, but nothing you can say about Blake Bortles now I know. comes close to your <laughs> T-shirt worthy right. phrase, right. he was not put on earth to throw a football. <laughs> I think that is the worst yeah. thing you could say about any quarterback. So anything else you say need not be accompanied by an apology. All right. I, I also wonder yeah. this. I also yeah. wonder this. Yeah. Let me, let, indulge me with another seat of the pants theory here. Okay. What have we seen in recent years at the quarterback position in the offseason? What have we seen? We've seen chaos. We've seen veterans become available that we didn't know were going to be available. There are other avenues for finding quarterbacks than there used to be. It used to be if you wanted to find a quarterback, what were you going to do? You were going to draft him. Because the good ones, the ones that checked the box good enough to play, never got away from the teams they played for. Never, ever got away. Yeah. Never. And now... Not only are teams saying, you know, we can do better because we don't want to make this huge financial commitment to a guy who's just on the pass side of pass fail. Right. We're done with that. And you've got quarterbacks who are saying, I'm done with you. Yeah, let's get out of here. So there's this there's this new world of. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know why it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. But if we sit around long enough, Matt Ryan's going to fall out of the sky and land in our front yard. So, so hey, yeah, we need a quarterback in 2023. Well, you know what? Like, you never know what the hell is going to happen come 2023. We may have Tom Brady by then. Who knows? So I just feel like that has become a factor yeah, I in this decision to right. say – we don't we don't let's let's focus on having a good team so we can attract a veteran quarterback not focus on swinging the bat yeah on a young quarterback who may never pan out let's let's have a good team then we're attractive to one of these guys that is looking for a new home I I don't think there's that desperation one because I I agree with you in a lot of things you're saying one we've we've said it there's not a quarterback problem in the NFL right now. It's as good as ever. I mean, there's a lot of damn good quarterbacks. I mean, there really is. So there's that, you know, there's there's an influx of that. I think you're right, too. Teams look at it and go, wait, most years the draft supplies us with a few. And free agency, some of the high-end backups, some of the disgruntled star starting quarterbacks, you're right. Now it's, it's, it's added to the pot. There's more available. And uh, even though you look at it and go, wait, you know, the rookie quarterbacks, it, it doesn't take much to pay them anymore and all that, too. Well, yeah, okay, sure, you take your chances, but it's got to be calculated as well. You know, some of these teams that, like, looked at this, they, you know, first off, like, with this specifically, the three teams that we look at, right, with, like, Desmond Ritter to the Falcons, the Titans with Matt, Malik Willis, Matt Corral to the Carolina Panthers, once it got out of the first round, what did those teams have to worry about other than each other, right? It's like you kind of realize, like, oh, well, maybe the Saints will take a quarterback, but I don't know. 
And then a lot of the teams you know that are kind of maybe want to get a quarterback, they don't want to like – the commanders don't want to draft Malik Willis and deal with a Carson Wentz-Malik Willis situation after they just traded that. So then they can kind of just sit back and wait, and that's why it kind of happens too, Mike. So I think like it's a lot of things encompassed. It was this year's gr- draft. I think you hit on some good things that teams realize, wait, wait, we don't need to reach right now. Let's build the team. There's going to be other options next year. We're not that desperate. We have Marcus Mariota. He has taken a team to the playoffs before, right? So I think there's, there's guys out there to where teams, like to your point, don't need to do that. And then in a year like this where there was only a few teams that really needed it, once they got out of the first round, they all sat back and went, well, all right, wait, we got to do this and this. And all right, there's four quarterbacks left, and there's only three teams that really want a damn quarterback left. So – you know, we'll get one of these guys somewhere somewhere down the line, and it was just an odd year like that, but it's hard to put your finger on it. I'm glad we're kind of having a good conversation about it. Let's flip back to, to the Falcons. You mentioned they've got Marcus Mariota. Yeah. We went into the draft thinking they have to do something. We knew they were going to do something. Yeah. They may as well have put a sign out in front of their facility saying we're drafting a quarterback. <laughs> right. How surprised were you that it was Ritter instead of Willis for them in round three? I, I, I thought I was surprised actually it wasn't Corral, I'm going to say. I, I didn't know if Willis would be their cup of tea there. I wasn't sure. You know, I kind of from the beginning kept going. Atlanta and Corral made a lot of sense to me. Corral like led college football and play action. Pass. We know Arthur Smith loves to do that. I thought that might be the 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 match there. I was surprised with Ritter. Ritter to me is less talented than all those other guys as a thrower. It's not even close. But as we discussed leading up to it, in a weird in a weird year like this, he has the intangibles you like, and he you can guarantee he's kind of like. Hey, yeah, there's not the rawness and the immaturity of Malik Willis. And then they get the same thing with Matt Corral. Ritter, there's none of that talk. Ritter dominated the meetings, the meeting process. Ritter was probably my favorite interview at the Combine. He's one of those guys you could just tell. You could throw him in a room and he's going to adapt and be a good guy and people are going to love him. So he had all those qualities, let alone you know he's a winner and he works hard and he's a good athlete and he has some size, but the, the throwing needs work. So that's where it was surprised to me. But I think when you talk about all the other things that have come out, especially after the weekend a little bit, you realize why they went that direction. There was an example in that pack of one of the primary challenges of ignoring statistics generated by college players, especially yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah, what was it? Because that touchdown pass he right. threw against Notre Dame, that looked like me playing There's a lot of like back. that. What was Mike? that guy doing? Like, I, I, and I remember when Geno Smith was at West Virginia and he had 25 touchdown passes and no interceptions, I had a scout contact me and say, and I think this is the throw here. Like, this is me playing safety. Yeah, that's like, Kyle Hamilton, that's Kyle. too, by the way. Oh, God. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> Well, Sorry, it was Kyle. such a Kyle just got twisted around. A little well, it there. was such a bad throw. It, it was such, and so was that one's yeah. not a great throw either. It's such a bad throw. Hamilton was running because you go, oh wait, I'm beat, but the ball was seven yards stop. So by the time he starts to look up, it's too late. But Mike, those throws right there, I mean, that just shows you there, there's it's a little concerning. But he does have all the other stuff, so you hope you can work on that and and get that better. And that's what Atlanta's gonna you know take their little gamble on with him. That's a genius strategy. Deliberately throw a bad ball so an elite safety gets twisted up by what a bad ball <laughs> it level. is. But what I was saying about Geno Smith, yeah. he had 25 touchdown passes, no interceptions in 2012, and the scout says, you know, if Maryland actually had a safety that could play, there were three interceptions <laughs> right. to be had in that game. Yeah. That's So there was a there were interceptions to be had by Notre Dame. They just didn't expect Desmond Ritter to be throwing those ducks up in the air. And I'll do, I'll do respect. I mean, but look, the film is what it is. We're not making – personal assessments of anyone's character here but the, those couple of those throws yeah they're not there's a lot of that up for grabs yeah it's it is below average nfl throwing that is that is the big thing but everything else checks the box and 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 i think some people have checked it in a big way so they're hoping they can fix that but yes mike i mean i even broke down during the my my you know my my podcast where i get into these things when he just throws the ball to the right Anybody in the right, it's it's guys wide open, it's 50-50. It doesn't matter if anybody's covered or not. So there's some real technical flaws as far as his throwing is concerned, but he does have all the other stuff. And the other guys might have had more talent throwing, Willis and Corral, but damn, there was a lot of question marks about all of them. And I just didn't realize Corral maybe had so many you know skeletons in the closet that way. 
And, of course, Malik Willis, I think, maybe had a few more and some more concerned teams out there than we, we initially realized. How much of it do you think is that Arthur Smith, the coach of the Falcons, and also Terry Fontenot, the GM, want to have a guy who matches mm. – Marcus Mariota more yeah. closely. So we don't get into the two playbook thing. We got one playbook that we run, and Mariota and Ritter can both run it and with similar strengths, similar weaknesses, so we can work on both of them and have one offense I that's going to so. get the most out of Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Drake London, right. the betting favorite to be offensive rookie of the year. Well, you got to have somebody throwing him the football if he's going to be offensive rookie of the year. So I, I just I can't help but wonder they were attracted to the idea of having a more seamless transition from yeah. Mariota to the next guy, and they thought that Ritter would be a better fit for that than anybody else. I, I don't disagree with you there. I think there's probably a thought there. Uh, you know, it's it's and Ritter's not a far off kind of thing from a Mariota or even a Ryan Tannehill, right? Play action pass. Oh wait, nobody's open. They can run, right? We see that in Tennessee with both of those guys there before bootlegs off the Arthur Smith game. Oh, they can run. Guess what else Tennessee used to do with Arthur Smith? Shotgun, read option, quarterback, keep it around the edge. Like Ritter's going to be good at all that stuff. So, yeah, I think philosophically, Mike, you're right. He, he fits a lot of how they want to play and what they want to do. He's smart. He's played in some big-time college football games. And, yeah, they're going to try to work, work with him on some of these throwing mechanics, flaws, whatever else there. But I, I do think you're, you're spot on. That that's probably the thought there, and that they don't have to change much in the offense with those two guys' skill sets. Then there's Malik Willis, 86th overall, a guy that we compared to Steve McNair in the run-up to the draft, right. and I guess it's fitting then that the Titans pounce. Now, John Robinson, the GM of the Titans, said they didn't consult with Ryan Tannehill before they made the pick, and I don't know where the line is from an etiquette standpoint that you need to pick up the phone and call the starting quarterback and say, we're picking a quarterback. 86 is getting close to it, if not on the other side of it. But when the guy you're taking is the guy that was regarded as the top quarterback prospect, right. and betting favorite to be the first quarterback off the board, you, it sends a stronger message than, you know, for example, when the Patriots go with Bailey Zappa Agreed. in round 14. Right. That, around four, round 14. 14, 14 this is what you round four. That would be that would be The draft would still be happening today. But round four, uh, not the same vibe as Malik Willis in round three. Yeah. And it raises real questions about what the Titans are thinking. And look, Tannehill's not at the offseason program. The Titans showed us last week that, that – that, they're not going to pay a guy a penny more than they want to, and they'll trade him if they have to. They'll move on from him if they choose to rather than than overpay for what they think a guy's worth. And now Malik Willis is there. And and the name, not not the draft slot, but uh, you're the right. name you're right. creates a presumption that he's not just there to back up Ryan Tannehill. I remember when Ryan Tannehill came in as the backup to Marcus Mariota, and he wasn't just there to back up Marcus Mariota. So their recent history – Coupled with the fact that Malik Willis was regarded as the top guy, you throw it all together, you look at Tannehill's circumstance, and you can't help but wonder whether or not they're going to deliberately be handing the baton or ripping the baton out of Tannehill's hands and giving it to Willis at some point in the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, well, see, this is, to me, part of, like, you're, we're explaining, this is part of the reason of the fall, right? This is more evidence to explain why it happens. Because it is Malik Willis. There is a name. Some of these teams out there that might go, oh, wait, we got a middle-of-the-road quarterback. They don't want to deal with that. They might go, oh, damn, I, you know, we like, we like Malik Willis, but, damn, we take him on our team, and now, you know, what Mike Florio said. We got a media thing, and the name was supposed to be first-rounder, and all of a sudden we got a little bit of a quarterback controversy in our locker room, even though he's the end of the second-round, third-round pick. Yeah, they're going to be flirting with that in Tennessee. There's no question about it. I mean, again, in the national media – Ryan Tannehill's last game is the only game anybody's ever remembered now over the last three years. That's that's it. Forget all the good football he's played. That last game is truly like put a bullseye on him. And then you add a guy like Malik Willis to the conversation. Yeah, I think it can make things a little dicey down there. Tannehill throws interceptions in the preseason, early in the season, whatever else. People are going to clamor for Malik Willis. He's got that type of talent, but he's raw. You got to wait a little bit. It's a good spot for him. It really is. He's got a lot of similar, you know, traits to a Ryan Tannehill. Sit back there, push the ball down the field. Oh, it's not there. I can run and make something happen or move and make something happen. And 
You know, I think uh, and that with their running game and how Vrabel wants to play, it makes sense for Malik Willis and te- the Tennessee Titans to match up. For 362 days of the year, I pay no attention to anything that anyone else says about football. I'll, I'll pay attention to things I see on Twitter. I'll pay attention to things I see written. But I don't hear, watch much of anything. I don't. For, for one very important reason, I never want to be credibly accused of stealing someone else's opinions or bits. I want to come up with my own opinions. I don't want to be taking anyone else's ideas. But during the draft weekend, it's unavoidable that you're going to hear takes from different people and different right. voices at different networks. Sure. And I'm not going to name names. I don't want to. I, but but there, there's, there, there's a lot of stuff that I see on draft weekend that is team talking points that just kind of end up trickling through the mouths of of the people who are talking into microphones. And they're obviously team talking points, Yeah, but, but just goofy stuff like naive stuff, like, Oh, Ryan Tannehill is going to be a great mentor to Malik. Well, he is (laughs) guys coming to take his job. Yeah. I mean, look, look, this is in high school where we've got some great tradition that we're trying to pass from one generation to the next. This is dog eat dog cutthroat. And now they have brought in the guy that Ryan Tannehill needs to look at and say, he's here to take my job. He's here to take money out of my bank account. He's here to take food out of my kid's mouth. I'm not helping this guy get ready to take over for me. And, you know, look, there's a certain amount of decorum and civility sure, that right. needs to go into it. And they're teammates. But, I mean, Ryan Tannehill's not going to bust his ass to groom Malik Willis to take over the starting job. Then what, what happens to Ryan Tannehill? Yeah, no, I, I hear there, there's a fine line there. You know, again, he's going to he's going to be a good guy. You know that he'll be a professional. He'll be a good like mentor and role model that way. Malik Willis got a question. Yes. Is he going to tell him every trick of the trade in the world? No. Does every guy do that? No. Does every guy do that? Of course not. I'm sure there I'm sure there are quarterbacks who, when the new guy shows up, treats that guy like a steaming pile of what came out of the dog this morning. Well, right. Definitely. I'm sure plenty of guys do that. It goes less. It gets less in the NFL because at least guys are a little more secure of themselves. But at the same time, yes. And you're not going to give away every trick of the trade. Like Tom Brady, when Jimmy Garoppolo walked in the door, didn't give him every thought that went through his head as he was walking through the line of scrimmage that like took Tom Brady to the next level. Oh, you know, he got this play, but you know, coach, coach told me 10 years ago when this corner on the backside of this play plays like this, I should work it. Is he going to tell those details to, you know, Malik Willis or, or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo? No, I wouldn't if I was a starter. I mean, hey, here's the play. Hey, Bruce Gradkowski, here's the play. I'll teach you some checks. You got a question? Sure. Am I going to tell you every trick while we're competing? Absolutely not. I hope you throw an incompletion and I throw a strike the next time. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, there's going to be some of that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but but it is a good fit for Malik Willis nonetheless, and it is funny that he ended up in the place with Steve McNair, like you said. One thing I'll disagree with you on philosophically is yeah. that the most secure guys are more likely to be helpful. I think they're less. Well, it likely could be to be that too. You're I right. The, I think the most right. secure guys are the most insecure guys because one of the reasons they are so secure, one of the things that's driven them to the point where they objectively have security is, is their insecurity. They're incredibly insecure. You're right, and they're constantly competing. I would say and Brady and Rodgers are like that. Right. I never, right. I never want that right. guy. And and you know that that was one of the big distinctions too. I remember when Bill Polian suggested he had a first round grade on Tom Brady along with everyone else. Like, okay, why didn't you take him in round one or two or three you or know, four wide or receiver five grade or six on Lamar, before number one ninety nine? Yeah, yeah. But but you know Peyton Manning was never threatened by anyone. They never, never. had anybody there. He had he had golf caddies yeah. as his backups. Jim Sorge. But the Patriots company. the Patriots never hesitated to draft quarterbacks. They were drafting quarterbacks all the time. Right. And it's a, I think Belichick knew that having that presence there is just enough of a little red hot poker on Tom Brady just, just to remind him that he was that guy once and what happened. Sure. Sometimes that guy can end up being pretty good. Sometimes that guy gets pretty motivated and works all day long every day and does everything we want. And next thing you know, we wake up one day and say, hey, he's as good if not better. Than the starter, and I think they liked having that constant yeah, reminder sure. to Tom Brady, so he never got soft. Yeah, I, I agree. Some teams are like that. You know, they brought Brady in the same thing to do what? Do the same damn thing to Drew Bledsoe. Like, you, you got a poker right underneath your butt. You better keep going here. 
I mean, my dad, he had Jeff Hosteller and Jeff Rutledge through the years. That's the philosophy of those teams. They don't roll out the red carpet for the quarterback always that way. They're going to go, wait, Tom Brady gets hurt. We want to have a quarterback so we can go to 11-5 and five still and still get in the playoffs and maybe do that, which they did. Uh, you know, so they do that. But, yes, to your point, it is very real in the fact that, yes, we've seen a lot of good quarterbacks not have good backups, and I think it's because of what you're talking about. We don't want to upset the apple cart. Let's not upset the locker room. Let's let our starter just feel like he's the man and he can puff his chest out and he can play without second-guessing himself or any of that. And I think that is a real dynamic. But, yeah, this is going to be a different one there in Tennessee now because I, I do feel like with the way the tide has turned on Ryan Tannehill a little bit and all the things you mentioned, Malik, Malik Willis, if they get off to a slow start or he throws interceptions or all that, yeah, they're going to have to hear about this a little bit. Meanwhile, the Panthers provided intrigue throughout the draft because we knew they wanted a quarterback. That's yeah. no surprise. They would love to move on from Sam Darnold, notwithstanding anything that team owner David Tepper tried to sell folks on last week when he met with the media. So they they negotiated with the Browns on a trade for Baker Mayfield on Friday during the draft. They were trying to work something out. My understanding is there was a huge financial gap. Uh, Charles Robinson of Yahoo reported on this. Huge financial gap between what the Panthers were willing to pay of Baker Mayfield's $18.8 million fully guaranteed salary and what the Browns were willing to pay. So much that, because at one point I thought, you know what, if it's just a million or two, maybe Baker says, I I'll, I'll, I'll eat it because I want to go to a place where I can lay the foundation for a much bigger prize in 23. So if, if you all are going to haggle over a million bucks, I'll just drop my salary to seventeen eight, and let's just call it a day, right? I, so I can finally get out of here and get to Carolina. But it was so big that that wasn't going to happen. But what is Cleveland so Panthers- doing, like, right, Mike? I mean, what's their leverage there with that play there? Like anything. Oh, you'll give us anything, and we'll pay the whole thing. So what? Like, I, I don't understand. They're they're going to be their option is pay everything, and he walks away as a free agent. Or pay everything and maybe you get a sixth round pickback or something like that. I don't. There's no other options on them. I don't know. I don't understand that. Well, they're playing the 49ers game yeah. where they think right. they think that some guy's going to roll out of bed and tear his ACL. Yeah. Because look, and, and and let's face it. Yes, the Teddy Bridgewater thing happened, so it's not unprecedented. But quarterbacks are not at the same degree of physical risk that every other player is. There will be injuries. We know that. Off-season program, there'll be a pop to Achilles at some point. We get to training camp in the preseason. Every day, there's a long list of injuries. We get, we get closer to the start of the regular season. You never know when a guy's going to be lost for the year. But quarterbacks, number one, are protected when they do play. They rarely play in the preseason anymore. They always have the red jersey on at practice or whatever color a team uses if their base jerseys are red. And, and they don't have to worry about getting injured the way that others do. So if it does happen, it truly is a freak thing. But they're waiting for that, the yeah. Browns are, yeah. as are the 49ers. Because right. that's the only way that value is going to fall out of the sky for them. And, Chris, here's another reality. Yeah. And, I, I look, th- this is how little I pay attention to other sports. When you're all football all the time, I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm not interested. I haven't been interested in baseball since the Pirates lost to the Braves. But I think I know where you're going here. NLCS. But when Trevor Bauer, yeah, I hear you. I knew you're going to go here. Right. Two years by Major League Baseball for sexual assault allegations. Now, different facts, and we're not going to get into the facts. They are graphic. They are disturbing. But the bottom line is, for things for which he was never arrested. For things for which a judge declined to enter a permanent restraining order, he got two years. Yeah. My point is this. Right. We still don't know what the NFL is going to do with Deshaun Watson. And I do know that there are people in the league office that are not advocating kid glove treatment for Deshaun Watson. There are people in the league office that think he shouldn't play at all until the 22 cases are resolved. Paid leave this year and then... We'll get to 23 when the 22 cases are gone. Jeez. I don't know what the commissioner is going to do if he suspends him. Everybody assumes it's four to eight games. That narrative sprang up early from the Ben Roethlisberger precedent and mm-hmm. kind of baked in. Now, I am told the Dolphins were under the impression it was going to be a six-game suspension if he settled all the cases and they traded for him last year. So I don't know why they thought that. Again, I don't know where these assumptions come from. 
I know the NFL isn't in the business of tipping its hand when it comes to what it plans to do with a guy. It doesn't want to do it. It doesn't want to make any decision and send out any signals until it finds itself in a spot where it has to make a decision. My point is this as it relates to Baker Mayfield. And I, and I heard some discussion about Baker Mayfield over the weekend, and no one said this, which could mean that I'm completely, completely in the wilderness and alone and wrong about this. But Browns may need him. I, and somebody Browns said may this. need Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I heard Daniel Jeremiah Browns talking need, about this a little bit. Browns, Browns may yeah. need him because Deshaun Watson may be out for right. the entire season. Then right. it's Jacoby Brissett. And this is a marriage of convenience. This is a... Come on, you don't like us, and we don't want you, and that's fine. But you know what? For this year, we need to set that aside and understand we have a mutual interest in making this work. And you being the best Baker Mayfield you can be, analytics, the odd-numbered years he's good. No, bad, the even-numbered years he's good. It's an even-numbered year. Let's go be good. Let's go be good. And you're not our guy in 23, but you could play so well you're someone else's. And – uh, that that could be how this plays out, that, that they just keep him and they try to put the toothpaste back in the tube and move forward with Baker Mayfield for one year. If Deshaun Watson, and that's why the sooner they know what happens with Deshaun Watson, the better. Because I'm telling you, if Deshaun Watson would get suspended for all the 2022 right now, you're damn right Baker Mayfield's their quarterback this season. Definitely. It might be the best option for Baker Mayfield for his whole career. Go back with Cleveland, one of the best offensive lines in football, a top top, a top five defense, the best two-headed monsters at running back in the game, Amari Cooper, David Joku. I mean, damn, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I hear you. I wonder, Mike. I do. Maybe that is part of their plans there. I mean, again, if I'm Baker Mayfield and you go, you could play for the Panthers, the Seahawks, or the Browns. Yes, we know the Browns got their issues. You're going to be pissed off. Sorry, London and all that. But, damn, it's going to be the best team. That's for sure. You're going to be on the most secure ground to propel yourself forward to, like what you said, the next big contract, their next big spot. I, the Trevor Bauer thing made me think big time this weekend. It puts pressure on the NFL, on the Deshaun Watson case. And, man, I'd be shaking in my boots if I was the Cleveland Browns right now. I really would. Because Deshaun Watson misses another year of football, man, you're going to be paying $45 million a year for a guy that hadn't played football in three years? Let me just tell you, you know, yeah, he'll be able to go out there, but he ain't going to be like a superstar after missing two years of football. You're not going to be getting $45 million a year quarterback type of play right away. And, man, that is – I mean, it's just a crazy situation. And, and, and this, this Trevor Bauer thing does put a little bit more of a spotlight on the NFL. And people will say, well, why does it matter? The NFL has its own judicial procedure that is premised upon fairness and precedent. Baloney. It's all a PR tool. Let's take a step back and remember what the personal conduct policy is. It is something that the NFL created. So it has a mechanism for addressing fans and media who would say as to a guy who gets in trouble away from work, why isn't the NFL taking action against him? And the, the proper response for many employers in this country is, hey, as long as a guy can show up for work, it's not my business. That's between him and the criminal justice system. He's not in jail. He's not arrested. That's between him and whatever happens in court or doesn't happen in court. That's not our concern. We're here to work. It's different, though, when you're talking about a business that's premised on getting the members of the public to show up and give you money and watch your games. There's a much stronger component of, wow, I can't believe they're letting this guy play, yeah. even though it really shouldn't. I'm, I'm just saying conceptually, and in most workplaces, it doesn't matter. How can it matter? I think in some jurisdictions, you need to be careful about taking action against employees for their off-duty conduct. It doesn't matter. It didn't happen at work. It's between him or her and the authorities. Right. But the personal conduct policy is there to provide a mechanism to allow outcomes to match whatever they think the public expectations are. So when Major League Baseball puts Trevor Bauer on the sidelines for two years, and he's got appeal rights and he denies it, but, but if it's two years, even the fact that they, they said it's two years, whatever happens on appeal, it's out there. Major League Baseball takes a stand and suspends this guy two years. 
That is a factor. It's not going to be the deciding factor, but all of a sudden now, that's a new factor introduced into the NFL's PR-driven analysis of what to do with Deshaun Watson. And, Chris, let me throw you another. Yeah. Let me throw you another wrinkle here. Yeah. There really are owners pissed off at the Browns. Of course For going is. five years, $230 million fully guaranteed. They are pissed off. Yeah. Well, you know what? The pissed off – when the owners are pissed off, who do they complain to? Who do they complain to? Yeah, the Goodell. Right. Exactly. And then he's, so he's go, hearing it. Right, yeah. He's yeah. hearing it. He's hearing it. And and right or wrong, there's a there's a mechanism. For, and remember, look, they'll, they'll tell you that Roger Goodell is the commissioner for all of football. He's not. He's got 32 constituents. They're the owners. He's got, he's got to keep them happy. And if a lot of them are pissed off that the league allow this, how did you allow that five-year, $230 million contract? Well, they can do whatever they want. Ah, baloney. The management council tells us what we can and can't do. Why didn't the management council tell them not to do it? I can imagine what these conversations are between the oligarchs and the commissioner. So at some point, well, you know, look at what, look at what MLB did to Trevor Bauer and look at this and look at that. They can justify what – see, that's the thing. They always do whatever they want, however they want, and they worry about working backward later to justify it. My point is this. You got owners who are pissed off about the contract. You got Trevor Bauer going two years. You got a real possibility that Sean Watson's not playing this year. I don't know what the percentage is, but we'd be stupid to not have that on our radar screen – so maybe it's bigger. I mean, wouldn't that be in a year where all sorts of upside down crazy stuff has happened? Wouldn't it be crazy? But at this point, not really a shock if Baker Mayfield's a quarterback of the Browns this year. I mean, yeah, it'd be crazy. It'd be crazy. I, even even as we say it, and it's like there is some logical aspects. It would be shocking too. I can't lie. I, because first of all, I guess just the guy himself. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. He'd be he'd be he'd be tough as chippy as he is and all that. I don't know if I'd want to bring him in there. And it sounds like they're done with him too, to a degree. I mean, they kind of sent out the signal. So that's where like I don't know, but like I understand, and I think you're bringing up a good conversation. And like I said, I think I I saw Daniel Jeremiah. He kind of brought this up at one point and hit on it. And it, it makes you think. It does makes me think where Cleveland's head at is in this matter. The NFL, Watson, all of that. Carolina obviously tried to make a play. It didn't work out, and then they went, okay, the hell with it. We'll draft Matt Corral, and they got a guy that you know I think is extremely talented, so we'll see where it goes. But the Cleveland situation, woo, yeah, the NFL's got some work on its hands there. There's just a broader game that that these teams play sometimes that confuses me, and I'm talking about the Panthers here. We want Baker Mayfield. We want to try to get Baker Mayfield, but we're only going to pay so much and screw it. Let's just go draft Matt Corral. Like there's just kind of a, I, I, it's so, it's two dramatically different philosophies Yeah. to quarterback acquisition. And as I had written multiple times over the past few days, I mean, Baker May, I'm taking Baker Mayfield over any of these quarterbacks coming in if I need somebody to go right now. I hear you for sure. I'll t- and I'm sure I'm sure the Steelers would have preferred Baker Mayfield for this year to Kenny Pickett, but they were never going to get him. But I'm taking Baker Mayfield. And, I, you know, why am I getting caught up on money? Am I getting caught up on money with Baker Mayfield because I was stupid last year and gave up uh, multiple picks for Sam Darnold? Now I have to pay him 18.8. I'm not thinking about Sam Darnold's 18.8 if I want Baker Mayfield. I'm paying the 18.8. I'm getting Baker Mayfield. Oh, well, it's not working out. Okay, let's just go draft a guy. Instead of maybe trying to work it out later and get Baker Mayfield, screw it, we're just going to go get Matt Corral. There was just kind of an element of desperation in all that to pivot so sharply from guy who's ready to come in and play for you to guy who's probably going to sit behind Sam Darnold. I mean, I, I think the way it played out, we now look at it as Sam Darnold and yeah, Matt Corral right. in 2022. Well, I think that With Darnold clearly being the guy. Definitely the guy, yeah, 100%, yes. Uh, but but I think you hit on maybe one of the reasons why, at least that, I, that I've thought about, you know, since this whole thing's gone down, is I don't think they're probably looking at it like, wait, they don't necessarily, I think, think it's a guarantee that Baker Mayfield's going to go in there and beat out Sam Darnold. That's the other aspect, too, to where they might look at it and go, wait, I don't want to pay another $18 million to a guy and trade away some bunch of assets to a guy where, damn, I'm not sure he's going to come in here and beat Sam Darnold. You know, I think that that could also be percolating through their brain to a degree, too. It would be if I was, if I was them. Next level. Yeah. 
and and there's a fine line between thinking outside the box and effing nutty. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. H- how about this? How about this? Let me let me throw let me throw a hypothetical at you. Deshaun Watson gets suspended for the year. The Browns need Baker Mayfield at that point. What about Baker Mayfield for Sam Darnold straight up at that point? Mm. You bring in Sam Darnold's your guy for one year. Right. He's just your change, change the uh, the scenery for both just guys. Flip him around. Flip him around. Let Baker go to Carolina. It'll be Baker Mayfield and Matt Corral, and it'll be Sam Darnold and Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland. I, if I'm the Browns right now, I, I'm, I'm burning crazy. up the phone line to 345 saying, will you please let us know what you're going to do with Deshaun Watson? We're a little nervous after this Trevor Bauer thing. Is there a way you can let us know? Because we got some pretty big decisions to make if we're not going to have Deshaun Watson this year. And maybe it's Baker Mayfield for Sam Darnold at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not crazy. Uh, also, though, we can't forget Jacoby Brissett's there in Cleveland, too. It's, I'm sure that's a big reason they signed him. So maybe they feel like he could be that guy, too. I, I don't not know. Not to play the whole year. I know. You're I right. I think the sense was he's the six-game guy, yeah, not right. the 17-game guy. Yeah, game. yeah, I hear you there. I, I would agree with that that sentiment as well. I would. But it's an interesting thought, Mike. I haven't really thought about the uh, Sam Darnold-Baker-Mayfield thing, but, uh, you're, you're, I mean, yeah. I think if you're a Carolina fan or anybody like that, you go, oh, okay, we got Baker-Mayfield. It's a new guy. Well, I think he's better than Sam Darnold. And, yeah, if you're Cleveland, you're going, wait, Sam Darnold? He's not bad. He's pretty damn good. Well, there's a reason people thought and we he's might not take Baker. him at one, and he's not Baker. Exactly right. That's what I was yeah. doing, too. He's not Baker, so he's Baker's out of our hair, and now we got another guy that we know can play and win some games, so not crazy. You've had worse. I'll tell you that. Not bad for a Monday morning conspiracy theory. Like 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 <laughs> Baker to Detroit? I, want ba- I still want Baker to Detroit, but uh, who knows? That's the thing. And, Chris, as you said, what the hell are the Browns going to do? That's what I mean. What are they really going to do? Right. That was their best opportunity. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks have shown zero interest. I mean, if it. they are playing this poker face, yes. this is a hell of a poker face. They have shown zero interest in Baker Mayfield. And so there's really no place else where he walks through the door as the starter. And with one year, $18.8 million, that's all you're hiring. I, 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 one of the, every once in a while, somebody will throw out Tampa Bay. First of all, first of all, where are they going to get eighteen point eight million in cap space? And it's a backup quarterback for one year. You 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 you're, you're bringing him in to evaluate him in practice for a year, and maybe you'll sign him after twenty twenty two if Tom Brady leaves. Why would you bring Baker Mayfield to Tampa Bay? Yeah, but every no. once in a while, somebody will throw that one out there. And I know we're just getting desperate for ideas, but that is kooky to me because you're paying him to come in and play for you, and there aren't many spots right now where you look and you say he definitely goes to that team in play and it's Seattle and it's Carolina, especially if the trade ends up being straight up $18.8 million wash, exact same salary, Darnold out Mayfield in. That would be something. And that's all the more reason for the NFL to make a decision about Deshaun Watson. So all these teams that have any connection directly or indirectly to Baker Mayfield can make their decisions too. We have decided to take a break. About five minutes after they told me to take a break. Let's go ahead and and pause. When we return, Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes have some new weapons. We'll discuss that next on this Monday edition of the Uh, Patrick Mahomes picking up another weapon. Sky Moore on his way to Kansas City. Mahomes is happy. Moore is happy. Moore's got to be oh, happy. what? And also, not walking through the door with that first-round pick burden, that expectation... There's just there's something valuable about it. Also, it puts a little chip on the shoulder. You know, I mean, yeah. hey, all these other guys went before me. We kind of like that Michael Thomas dynamic. But now the Chiefs get some help at the receiver position. Andy Reid said over the weekend he knows that Patrick Mahomes is excited about adding Sky Moore. So they've got Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, all three new options in the passing game. Obviously, Tyreek Hill gone. And, hey, again, it's Andy Reid, it's Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey's still there. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. I still don't know what's going to happen with the Packers, and we'll talk about that. But I do know. I do know the Chiefs are going to be fine. Definitely, right? And I don't worry about the Chiefs at all. Not with what they've done. You know, I mean, again, and even what they've, they've added to their football team. They lost Tyree Kill. So what? They, their team's better. They are across the board. I mean, some of the things they did in free agency, and then you add this draft. Chiefs are one of the teams that kicked butt, won the draft, without question. Got guys that are going to help their team out right away. I mean, really, all all the first five the first five picks you see there, Mike. I mean, Chris Sims is a big fan of all five of those guys: Leo Chanel, Brian Cook from Cincinnati safety, but Sky Moore, Mike. I mean, he was maybe the best true slot receiver in the draft. 
got strength, can really accelerate, fearless over the middle, has like that weapon potential, Mike, that we talk about. You're going to be able to give him speed sweeps and reverses, and he's going to be able to make people miss and, you know, lower a shoulder and take some contact. He's got a little bit of like a, you know, that running back body that we see out of receivers here lately. So uh, I'm with you, man. The the Kansas City Chiefs, their offense is going to be absolutely fine. They will still be, they will still be one of the best in football, especially now with the addition of Sky Moore. 4.41 seconds in the 40, not yeah. Tyreek Hill, but 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 close enough. Yeah. Also, it's how you run with the pads on. Some guys he runs uh, well. run different with the pads yeah. on, and uh, it's good for the Kansas City Chiefs and a little less concern about their passing game. The Packers. He's a jitterbug, after... Mike. Oh, sorry, man. He's a jitterbug underneath no, with Kelsey, ahead. right? That's and what you, he'll do. The, the, the other, other guy that we, the yeah. other guy that we don't mention. Yeah. Is the guy that we had on set at Super Bowl, Mecole Hardman, I know. who's in his contract uh-huh. here and has every intention of stepping up. So, yes, they've added those three guys, but they still have Kelsey and they have Mecole Hardman. Pringle's gone, Demarcus Robinson's gone, Tyree Kill's gone. It really is a dramatic overhaul of the pass catching core. Kelvis and Hardman, or Kelsey and Hardman, are the two main ones back, but now you got these new guys. It's, but, but I have complete faith in the Chiefs coaching staff uh, to too. make it work. Right? I know. With their new receivers. Agreed. There's just something about them. And then the quarterback and just it's it's a it's a you know, tried and true system. We know that. They're creative. They'll do different things. They'll adjust to the group they have there. And then, you know, plain and simple, I mean, you just said it right. That that crew that crew right there is talented. I mean, that's a pretty damn good crew right there. And then you throw in you know, now the sky more. Uh, I mean, that's they're, that. This is going to scare some people. There's no doubt. I'm not worried about Kansas City at all. The Green Bay Packers had a couple of first round picks. They did not try to trade up to get one of the best receivers, so they took defensive players on the first night of the draft. They got to work on Friday night picking up a receiver. Here is Brian Gutekunst, general manager of the Packers, on the decision to trade up with the Vikings, who made a couple of deals with division rivals over the weekend. The Packers move up to get Christian Watson. Here's Gutekunst on his new receiver. What was it about Christian that made you comfortable giving up two second-round picks to take him so high? Yeah, obviously, you know, he he's a big, fast, physical receiver. Um, we think his best football is ahead of him. Um, we got a chance. We brought him in here for one of our 30 visits. Got a chance to spend a lot of time with him and just really felt that he a um, really smart kid that uh, we, we feel will fit our culture. And um, so I think... Uh, like everything, obviously, he's got really good tape. His athletic traits are off the chart. The more we got to know him as a person, we just felt really good about him. Chris, I know you're a Christian Watson guy. Tell me more about him. Yeah, I mean, freak show, Mike. I think this is this is the guy that, you know, we look at those second rounders, right? Second round receivers the last 10 years in the NFL draft, they're kind of the ones that have actually outperformed the first rounders. This would be the guy that I would put the star next to to go, watch out. This could be... DK Metcalf or AJ Brown or or Chase Claypool or whatever, but just that guy that you go, how did he last on the board to that point and he's that big and that fast and nobody can cover him in football? How did that happen? He is a freak show, Mike. To me, the most physically gifted receiver in the draft, only him or Jamison Williams from Detroit. But man, him with Rodgers, I mean, this dude can do it, Mike. He really can. He's like run after the catch run by you with the ball in the air. He does the weapon stuff we talk about. North Dakota State put him at tailback like Debo Samuel. They give him toss sweeps and crack plays and reverses and all that type of stuff. So I love the pick. Green Bay, they got a lot of flack for the no right receiver in the first round. Hey, they got unlucky. It fell bad for them. They got two awesome Georgia defensive players in the first round. And then to get this guy third, that was a pretty damn three for three, you know, three home runs, in my opinion, what they did there. And one of the narratives you'll hear from people both inside and outside the Packers organization, and Aaron Rodgers is one of the proponents of this, pointing yeah. out that the team has found some pretty good second and third round receivers over the years. Yeah. But has there ever been a guy who walks through the door as a round two receiver in Green Bay? or around one receiver for that matter, with the expectation that he's going to be the number one guy right out of the gates. And I, I somebody say, well, they're going to spread the ball around a lot more this year. Well, no crap. 
<laughs> close to. Of course they are. But where's the guy? Where's the guy that you're going to game plan? Yeah. Where's the guy that's going right. to open it up for the rest of the guys? Of course you're going to spread it around. But if there isn't one guy that strikes fear in the heart of the opposing defense, yeah. that's the quality that you're missing without Devontae Adams there. And the pressure is going to be on Christian Watson to it become is. that guy sooner than later. It is. You're right. You're right about that. That's, that's exactly right. I, I mean, he's to me, he's. He's going to be that guy, or at least not that he has to be the guy like Devontae Adams that has to get 125 receptions, but has to be the guy that in some way they frame the offense around him to where you go, oh, crap, we got to worry about this or that with him. It might not be it to be down by down receptions, but it might be, hey, he is your big play guy, and we know how to draw up a lot of plays in the dirt to get him deep, like a.k.a. Tyree Kill in Kansas City. To where, yeah, okay, today he might not have had a lot of catches and yards, but damn, you had to send people deep with him, and he scared the crap out of you all day long, and it made everybody else better. And then the week the team doesn't respect that, okay, then it's Rodgers bombs away to Christian Watson. Uh, I, I, to me, he seems like the only guy that you can ride or like formulate the offense around right now in Green Bay. There's another wild card in all of this, yeah. and it's funny you mentioned Chase Claypool. That's a guy that I said the Packers should think about trying to trade for. He's not eligible for a second contract until after this season. Right. I look at what the Steelers did yeah, right. on Saturday, adding two receivers, George Pickens from Georgia and Calvin Austin the third from Memphis, as Peter King points out. The Steelers snatched him right oh, before the Ravens. Could. I love him, Mike. Listen, the, the Steelers have Deontay Johnson, who is entering his fourth year. Right. They have Chase Claypool, who is a year away from wanting his second contract. And they went through this with Mike Wallace and Antonio Brown 10 years ago before the receiver market went haywire. They offered Mike Wallace a deal. Wallace said no. They said, fine, see you later. We'll give it to Antonio Brown. I think they're only going to keep one of these two guys long term between Johnson and Claypool. I, I think you're right, Mike. I think, I think one, one of these we, guys is going to be available. We talk about this all the time, right, Mike? I mean, when, when they got drafted – they're one of those teams because I like those receivers they, they drafted. When they drafted them, it made me feel better. I mean, I felt like my evaluation was right when they got drafted because I was like, oh, the Steelers yeah. took them. Yeah, because you've said it a million times. We talk about the Steelers, they are one of those teams that's got the eye for the wide receiver. Every team's got their strength about what they can recruit and how they scout it out. The, the Steelers are the best receiving uh, scouting team I've ever seen in, in football over the last two years. You, you named all the names there. I mean, it dates back to even farther than that with the Santonio Holmes and all those guys. I mean, it's crazy. So I, I hear that. I certainly thought about that aspect of are they getting ready for the next move there? Because those two guys, Pickens, hurt all last year out of Georgia, has all the first-round traits you want. Tall, fast, can go get the ball. He looks. He's a first-round type receiver, I think, if he's healthy throughout his college career. And then the other kid, Calvin Austin, is a absolute just – Freak of nature, quick as hell, running all over the place, returning kicks, punts, screen passes, Mike. So it uh, be interesting to see what they do with the, the plan of attack of receiver there in Pittsburgh. And what's amazing about the Steelers, and it does go back to San Antonio Holmes. Now they got Lima Swede from your yeah. Longhorns in yeah. 2008. He was a disappointment. Right. And they, they're not 100%, right. but they're pretty damn close to it. With their draft picks, and they have found like between round three and six, they got Emmanuel Sanders and Antonio Brown the same damn it's amazing. draft right. in 2010. Right. It's uncanny what they've done. And they started going round two in recent years. They go James Washington, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. Are you kidding me? I know. And now George Pickens adds to that list. It's unbelievable what they're doing. So I, I, I say all that because. I don't know who the guru is. I don't know who the wizard is <laughs> right. in the draft room right. because none of them will try to claim credit. You know, there's plenty of other teams out there, and I'm not going to name names, but I guarantee you if this team had cracked the code on finding receivers, we would know who the person is who is responsible because that person would not be able to resist <laughs> doing everything that he could to make sure that somebody tweeted it or somebody talked about it and the narrative would be baked in that so-and-so is the person responsible for all these great receivers in this city or that city. In Pittsburgh, we don't know because you know what? The guy that I think is responsible, Kevin Colbert, he's the last guy. Yeah, he's never going to try tout to, himself. Right. He's the, la he's the last guy yeah. to do it. Yeah. And that's why, you know, he told us at the scouting combine and 
Also, this was mentioned by Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette in a, a great item. You can find it online. We've got a link to it in a story about Kevin Colbert uh, from over the weekend. They need to keep him around, and he's happy to be around. He's not going to walk through the door like he owns the place. No. He's, he's, yeah. he's going to be he's going to be do my job, know my role, support the GM, whatever you need me to do. I'm here to add to the trophy room. That's it. That's yeah. what means everything to him. Adding to the trophy room, and if he can stay and help add to it, then so be it. But you'd be crazy. Whoever the next GM of the Steelers, oh, is, I'd want him. And around. I know we're waiting. Yeah. I'd want. I would want him around because he's he's not gonna he's not gonna tell me what to do. And he's going to be yeah, a hell of a resource. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. He just he comes off as one of the you know lesser egotistical people in all of football. Just a really good guy. Just wants to coach football. I mean, you know, look at football players. You know, evaluate the team. Do that type of stuff. He's never been in it for the headlines. You never get that sense. You know, even this year at the combine, right? We kind of tried to like. Give him a good send off and have some fun. He wasn't going to have it. It was just it was all business. He wasn't going to make it about him. He wasn't. Um, so I respect. And you know, Mike, you're, you're, the, the the wide receiver thing too. It might be to the point now where you know what happens. Just like we've seen in Pittsburgh and Pat, like how do they always get good outside linebackers in Pittsburgh? It's it's been there for a long time. It's part of the culture. It's been passed down through generations to go. Hey, see these little traits about the outside linebacker going back to you know the '70s Steelers and all that. They know what to look for in players in that position. And I think you know Colbert or whoever taught him has done that with their group of the receivers to what they know what to look for at the position that makes sense and how it translates to the NFL. And they have a gift at that position. That's for sure. Interesting fact about Colbert. I didn't know until this weekend, he was the head baseball coach at Robert Morris in 1981 and the head baseball coach at Ohio Wesleyan in 1984. And again, Plenty of other GMs, if they had that on their resume, we would have known about it because they'd have made sure to tell somebody about it a long time ago because it just adds to the allure or whatever. Colbert, the exact opposite of and I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong to be the it's just amazing that a guy with that level of achievement in that position can have that degree of humility and grace. But uh, uh that's why the Steelers need to keep him around any way that they can. Let's take a break. When we return, the 49ers keeping Debo Samuel around against his wishes. He wasn't traded. Where does it go from here? We'll discuss that next on this Monday edition of PFT Live.